This program is brought to you by the Practicing Law Institute, a nonprofit learning organization dedicated to keeping attorneys, professionals, and accountants at the forefront of knowledge and expertise. Hello, and welcome to the Insecurities Podcast, keeping it fresh and staying wonky on the latest securities, regulatory, and enforcement developments with a practitioner's perspective on the stories you should be following. As always, I'm Chris Ekimoff, and I'm here with my co-host, Kurt Wolf. It's good to be with you, Chris. Today, we are creating our own holiday. It is Cyber Thursday on the Insecurities Podcast. I can just hear everybody ignoring their emails and clicking over to some website to buy some stuff right now, Kurt. Absolutely. Maybe some cybersecurity or some like malware prevention software, because that's- Wow, don't bury the lead. Don't bury the lead for our topic today. That's what we're going to be talking about today. So we're actually recording this episode just a few days after Thanksgiving. And of course, we were caught up in all of the holiday sales and thought, you know what? Maybe we should do our own little Cyber Thursday episode because, believe it or not, cybersecurity is a little bit of a gap in our in our episode, in our catalog of episodes. We've talked about it a little bit before. We talked about it with uh, Jessica Hopper, who is the head of enforcement over at FINRA. That was back on episode 55. We talked about it a little bit with SEC Commissioner Caroline Crenshaw back on episode 40. But I mean, the biggest and the most substantive conversation we've had about cybersecurity, you have to go all the way back to March 2021 in episode 34, when we had Chris Hetner and Robert Peake come on the show to talk about some of the cybersecurity threats or trends that were emerging during COVID-19 and thinking ahead at the time a little bit to uh, about what the Biden administration might do from a cybersecurity regulatory standpoint. So we thought what would make sense today on Cyber Thursday is just to bring listeners up to speed. There actually has been quite a lot happening in the cybersecurity space in the whatever that is about a year and a half since the last time we really, really addressed it. I won't check your Uh, math. Right. Thank you. Although that's really your job. You know, so what we want to do today is just talk a little bit about some of the the changes or proposed changes in the regulatory framework, a little bit about what's been going on in the enforcement space, and then maybe just peek around the corner and talk about what might be coming. So, Chris, without further ado, why don't we kick this thing off? Let's talk a little bit about regulation. Yeah, so spoiler alert for those of you who have not listened to episodes 34, 40, and 55, one of the recurring themes that we discussed on all of those episodes is really that there's not a global cybersecurity regulatory regime, right? There's no there's no CSC for the Cybersecurity Exchange Commission, right? It is Ooh. it is regulated and and operated kind of in this Patchwork quilt, if you will, as it's getting a little bit colder up here in Buffalo, thinking a lot more about quilting. These pieces of of regulation that can sometimes be a little bit difficult to understand their applications, who is subject to them, as well as, you know, where the next notice might come from or what the next charge or issue might be. So with that underpinning, we want to talk a bit about the past. And as Kurt and I often do, we assign the history lesson to the person less intact with with what that history might be. Kurt, thank you for your discussion of revenue recognition changes on our last episode with Matt Jakes. Now I will do my best to talk about some of the cybersecurity regulations from the SEC. You know, first off, we're going to start with regulation SP. And Kurt, I'll pause here as a layperson, not an attorney. Do you know what SP stands for? 
I don't. I don't remember anyway. I could not find anyone who who gave me the appropriate acronym for Regulation SP. So if we don't know the answer, we'll cut this part of the episode. It is referenced as a safeguard protections regulation, or is often known as the safeguards rule, enacted in 2000 with compliance by July of 2001. So very old in terms of the cybersecurity regime we have, but it dictates a lot of what's expected from very specific entities under SEC supervision. So Regulation SP establishes general requirements and restrictions on, as well as certain exceptions to, the ability of financial institutions to disclose non-public personal information about customers to non-affiliated parties, right? So we think of that as a bank has a ton of information about its customers. It cannot just act in whatever way it sees fit to share, sell, disseminate that information around markets for its counterparties or or other things like that, right? We call it the safeguard protections rule. That's really kind of the basis of Regulation SP. A nuance to it, though, is that there is a requirement for advisors and funds subject to Regulation SP to develop and implement an identity theft protection program to, quote, detect, prevent, and mitigate identity theft, end quote, from customer accounts. So in theory, or hopefully in practice, this identity theft prevention program should have written policies and procedures that address the cyber protections of customer records of information, as well as maybe a more broad discussion of cybersecurity generally, and the efforts of that advisor fund or financial institution to protect its customers' identities. Obviously, Kurt, we could do six or seven episodes on just the nuance of of Regulation XP. Maybe we should go into like a, a paid subscriber version where anybody who wants to know all of the details can can pay <laughs> us to listen content. to us talking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which I can't I imagine it. we'd have it. many people sign up. No, so again, of course that, we would. <laughs> so that again is regulation SP came around in the early 2000s. In 2013, the SEC enacted regulation SID. Kurt, any idea what SID stands for? So I think these are just the way that they sort of itemize these rules, <laughs> Again, right? Like I'm I know in, SK is something I know that you're familiar with, that's right? right? I'm not sure that that's an acronym. I, I couldn't tell you why it's called <laughs> SK, right? So same thing here with regulation SID. It came about in 2013. It's commonly known as the identity theft red flags rule. So we're extending the ideas around what issues need to be addressed by certain advisors and funds. So For example, under Reg SID, advisors and funds must develop and implement a written identity theft program. The program must include reasonable policies and procedures to identify and detect relevant red flags, as well as respond appropriately to red flags so as to prevent and mitigate identity theft. And I'm not just repeating myself from the Reg SP discussion here. For those listeners who think I don't know, Reg SID actually hones in a little bit more on those requirements. Those programs must also be reviewed periodically to ensure that any changes in the identity theft risk landscape, that's externally, are reflected in those programs and provide for continued administration, including things like staff training and oversight of relevant service providers. So although the jurisdictional or the oversight mechanism of Reg SP and Reg SID may differ a little, you can see 
that REGSP came about in a time where information was being developed in the digital space significantly for customers of financial institutions, advisors, and funds. REGSID, fast forward 13 years, we're now looking for a little bit more than just a program on paper. It needs to be considered on an annual basis. It needs to take into account external factors in the threat landscape, as well as be disseminated appropriately to those individuals. And we can save a discussion of red flags versus security breaches for another time, but that's kind of where my mind goes on these two. Uh, you know, red flags is really not just saying, oh, nobody breached our system, we're fine, mm -hmm. to, hey, we're seeing some things happening in the market or, or to some of our data warehouses or some of our customer data that's fishy, right? That might be a red flag of something going wrong. We need to respond to that. Yeah. You know, it, it's an interesting regulatory framework. Like you said, it's a little bit of a patchwork. What I think is, you know, interesting when you think about the SEC regulations versus what you might see in other jurisdictions, you know, non-US jurisdictions or in some of the states, you know, they have rules that are very specific about cybersecurity. You need to have a cybersecurity program. You need to have an incident report program. You need mm -hmm. to have a CISO. There are certain reporting requirements. I mean, this is really just kind of almost squeezing cybersecurity into these other regulations that basically say, you've got some important information out there about your customers and other things, and you got to keep it safe. Yeah, we, we talk a lot about principles-based and rules-based frameworks. Yeah. This is soundly focused on the data itself, right? This is not an effort-based program. This is, hey, you guys have stuff. You got to protect mm -hmm. it and you got to tell us how, or at least develop a program for how. So you can imagine there might be another regime out there that would be developed on a more general, you know, principles-based position. This is much more tactical in protect the data, tell us how you're doing it, and constantly update that. Yeah. But I think, you know, one of the one of the knocks on this is or on this system is that it doesn't it doesn't do enough or it doesn't cover enough or maybe require, you know, registrants or public companies to do enough. And that's one of the things that we talked about, you know, with Robert Peake and Chris Hetner when they were on the program yep. in, in twenty twenty one was just identifying some gaps in this framework and identifying areas where they thought maybe the SEC could do more in terms of rulemaking to to require registrants or public companies to have more robust systems or a more robust reporting requirement framework. You know, again, some of that stuff exists under state law. Some states yeah. have taken steps to make their own rules a little bit more stringent, their requirements a little bit more exacting. I know, you know, the New York Department of Financial Services, for example, recently released rule amendments to its own cybersecurity regulation that are really a significant update to the practices that they require under their under their state law. We're not talking about that stuff today. We're just focusing on the SEC. But I think it's interesting, you know, again, kind of looking at the existing framework, thinking about some of the gaps we've identified on past episodes. And now what I want to talk a little bit about is where the current commission, you know, and Chair Gensler are trying to, to plug some of those holes. And so I think a, a place to start with this, it's something that Chair Gensler has talked about time and again since he you know, took over as chair, but he gave a speech in January that really, I think, outlined the way that he thinks about cybersecurity regulation and rulemaking at the SEC. The speech was called Remarks on Cybersecurity and Securities Laws. You know, as I read it, the basic premise is that cyber incidents happen a lot. And I think Chair Gensler was trying to get at why that is and what things, you know, the SEC as a regulator could do to maybe not make the, you know, the hacks or the cyber incidents go away, but 
put a framework for companies to respond when those things inevitably happen. And in terms of thinking about why they happened, he said the following, quote, the interconnectedness of our networks, the use of predictive data analytics, and the insatiable desire for data are only accelerating. State actors and non-state hackers alike sometimes try to target various entities and businesses. Why? To steal data, intellectual property, or money. Lower confidence in our financial system, disrupt economies, or just demonstrate their capabilities. All of this puts our financial accounts, savings, and private information at risk, end quote. He goes on to talk about how cyber attacks cost billions or possibly trillions of dollars a year, you know, for companies and investors. And so what he says in the speech is sort of like, what, how should we even be thinking about this? What should we do? And so he said, when I'm thinking about cybersecurity policy, I think about four groups. The first is SEC registrants. These are mostly you know, entities in the financials, financial sector, broker dealers, investment advisors, things like that. So that's the first bucket. The second, public companies. Obviously, any of the companies whose securities or stock or trading on US exchanges have certain reporting and requirements. You just have to tell the market certain things. Third, there are service providers that work within the financial sector or work with registrants, but maybe aren't registered with the SEC, but they nevertheless are companies that are subject to cyber incidents or you know attempted hacks or attacks and, and maybe need to tell the market when those things happen. And then last is the SEC itself, which has been not an infrequent target of hacking attacks to get financial and other information. So with that, Gensler says, you know, the SEC has a role to play here. And there are three ways that he as chair is sort of thinking about cybersecurity policy. The first is he's thinking about cyber hygiene and preparedness, right? So this is sort of the front end. What are companies doing to prepare for attacks? The second thing he's thinking about from a policy perspective is cyber incident reporting to the government and, and third, incident reporting to the public. So you got preparedness, reporting to the government, reporting to the public. That's how he thinks about cybersecurity from a policy perspective. I think that's a common hierarchy too for businesses, right, as they consider it. Yeah. Is a lot of times, Kurt, you and I have had these conversations and kind of swapping war stories on a no-names basis. Oh, I had this client, you know, this thing happened and they said, how could we have stopped this? And it was, well, you know, you should have done a lot more ahead of time, right? That preparedness. The second question is, what do we do next? And that's where you think about, do we disclose this to the government? Is there some regulation or requirement to do so? And then finally, do we need to disclose or tell this to customers of the market at large? So it does follow kind of a natural pattern for a lot of the things that you and I see. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that the SEC is now starting to sort of nudge companies to be a little bit more proactive, right? Some of those companies or clients that might say, hey, what what could I have done or how should I react? Mm -hmm. The SEC is going to put it in black letters for them. <laughs> and so this great. year we've seen, we've seen a couple rulemaking proposals or proposed amendments to existing rules that are really kind of getting at some of these buckets that Gensler laid out in this speech, you know, mostly thinking about hygiene and preparedness and reporting obligations, both for you know, entities in the financial sector 
and public companies. So if we go back to February 2022, again, I know we're going farther back in time than we usually do today, Chris, but it's been a while since we talked about cybersecurity. So you're all right. So we're going to go back. First, we're going to go back to, uh, to February 2022. The SEC issued a rulemaking proposal that really focuses on investment funds and investment advisors. Again, this is that financial sector bucket that Chair Gensler talked about. Uh, the rule was called Cybersecurity Risk Management for Investment Advisors, Registered Investment Companies and Business Development Companies. And essentially, I won't go through it all. The, the rulemaking proposal is the typical SEC pretty long, kind of sleepy read. But essentially, this is a, a suite of proposed rules that would require investment advisors and funds to prepare written cybersecurity risk assessments to develop and periodically update cybersecurity policies and procedures to report cybersecurity incidents in near real time. And that, that's an important point. Uh, and finally, to perform cyber incident record keeping. So taking note anytime that there is an, an incident, perhaps of a certain size. You know, I think a, a lot of this rubbed people the wrong way because it seems to impose um, a pretty serious compliance burden on financial services firms that are probably already doing or thinking about this stuff, right? So maybe we need to think about what's the gap between what the rule requires and what folks are already doing. But I know, you know, Commissioner Peirce, for example, issued a statement at the time where she was saying she, she doesn't really like aspects of this rule because she just doesn't seem convinced that the burden is worth the potential benefit here. And among the things that she didn't like and that I think the market really didn't like was just how quickly firms would need to report incidents. And this is something that folks complain about at the state level as well with respect to, you know, the sort of patchwork of state rules that are out there. But that's always a problem is trying to figure out, so this thing just happened, I'm still trying to get my arms around it, right? How big is this problem? Is it a problem at all? And at the same time thinking about, well, did, did I need to report that five minutes ago? Yeah, I think too, Kurt, that this is you know a shift, right, from that data-focused idea that we talked about in 2000 and 2013 to now a policy or an assessment-focused idea, right? So we're it's overlapping for obvious reasons, right? There's one Ethernet cable that comes into the company, and don't ask me the technicals on that. But in terms <laughs> of the governance over that now, we're proposing a requirement for an actual cybersecurity risk assessment, right? That would run either concurrently or, or next to an identity theft protection assessment, right? Or, or acknowledgement of those policies on an annual basis. And then I think obviously, and, and we could spend almost no time or a lot of time on this, that in near real time uh, discussion, obviously everybody wants, that means something different to everyone, right? So what does in, in near real time mean? Is that within a week? Is that within five minutes? You know, how serious are these things, right? You can see all the decisions spiraling out of there, which I think Commissioner Peirce, you know, spoke to. Yep, that, that's absolutely right. So look, it, it sort of is what it is. We don't have a final rule yet. I know that the comment period is closed. So if you're hearing this for the first time, sorry, it's a little too late to lob in a comment. <laughs> Hopefully you but, got your comments uh, in yeah, on right. time. <laughs> there were plenty. There were plenty <laughs> submitted. So are. we're kind of waiting to see what that final rule is going to look like and whether they relax any of those any of those requirements. But so that was the first rulemaking proposal. Exactly one month later, you know, the first was February 9th. On March 9th, the commission put out another rulemaking proposal. These were actually proposed amendments to existing rules, this time focusing on public companies. So again, we're kind of following Gensler's blueprint here in yeah. terms of how he's thinking about the SEC cybersecurity policy. These rule amendments were called Cybersecurity Risk Management Strategy Governance and Incident Disclosure 
for public companies subject to the reporting requirements of the Securities Exchange Act of 1934. So basically any public company whose securities trade on a U.S. exchange. In coming up with these amendments, the SEC determined that and that investors would benefit from, quote, more timely and consistent disclosures, end quote, by public companies. And so to that end, what they want is for companies to do a few things in terms of reporting to the market. One is to report material cybersecurity incidents on a Form 8K. And there is a, an, an amendment to the rules that would require or trigger a reporting on an 8K. Second, they want companies, public companies, to develop risk management, cybersecurity risk management and strategies. This is going to be an amendment under Reg SK. They also want companies to adopt cybersecurity governance policies. Again, this is another amendment to Reg SK. And then finally, one of the things that they will expect public companies to report publicly is the cybersecurity expertise of their board, of members of their board, of members of their boards of directors. And again, this is an amendment to Reg SK. So we're kind of getting at this, this piece of the Gensler puzzle where we're focusing on what are we going to tell the markets? What are we going to report out publicly so that, in this case, investors have a good understanding of how a company is thinking about cybersecurity? How are they preparing for potential incidents? What expertise do they have in-house? Uh, again, this one is not a final rule. Comment period is closed. Same apology as last time. We'll, <laughs> right. we'll try to we'll try to do better on the timing. But you know, hard to say when when a final rule will come out. You know, it's interesting. I was talking with someone today about how the SEC, obviously, we've talked about this a bunch, has a robust rulemaking agenda. There are lots of proposals out there. It feels like that's starting to create a little bit of a backlog because we mm -hmm. could run through a pretty long list of proposals now that have come out over the past, let's just say, year where the comment period is closed. <laughs> we're just kind of we're just kind of waiting and waiting. I mean, there's always a lag between the end of yeah. the comment period and the final rule. But some of these things are going to start coming out. These rules, these cybersecurity rules or amendments, I think are things that we're definitely going to see in the not too distant future. So folks should be paying attention. You know, it, I, I think it's interesting. In a, in a sense, we've talked about kind of the regulatory piece. And, and I mentioned earlier that Commissioner Peirce issued a, a dissenting statement with respect to one of these proposed cybersecurity rules. And there were a couple things in there that I thought were really interesting that she said. And one of them is that she sort of said she's she's a little bit tired of, of what she calls the traditional regulation, examination, enforcement triad you know it's That's just sort right. of like this 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 wheel this this treadmill that they're on that sort of everything kind of seems to just flow naturally to enforcement and i think one of the problems that she had with the particular rules she said rules that set forth detailed cybersecurity prescriptions could become an easy hook for an enforcement action even when a firm has made reasonable efforts to comply with the prescriptions, end quote. So I think what she's seeing or, or what she's afraid will happen is that, that these rules are really just going to kind of put companies on a fast track to potential enforcement actions, not because they ignored the rule or didn't attempt to comply, but just because of how they're how they're written. There's almost going to be some kind of like strict liability standard. And she's saying, we, we got to get off this treadmill. So anyway, you know, we've talked a little bit about the regulation. I would love to know if there's any enforcement actually happening in the space, Chris. <laughs> Well, Kurt, I'd tell you, even though many of those proposed rules are not yet finalized, the commission is not waiting 
to continue to bring, you know, headline actions in the enforcement space around cybersecurity issues. So we're going to do a brief rundown of some of the major cases that have been brought since our March 2021 episode with Chris Hetner and Robert Peake. So a brief rundown here. In June of 2021, the SEC announced charges against a real estate settlement services company for disclosure controls and procedures violations related to a cybersecurity vulnerability that exposed sensitive customer information. According to this order, the company was aware, this is going to be a theme here, Kurt, the company was aware of certain vulnerabilities in the system, but failed to inform senior executives or the markets of those vulnerabilities. The company failed to maintain disclosure controls and procedures designed to ensure that such knowledge, such vulnerabilities would be made available and that relevant information would be analyzed for disclosure in the company's public reports filed with the commission, right? This June 2021 action is really kind of that people at the company knew, but the programs were not in place to sh- disseminate that information to the appropriate levels based on the seriousness of that vulnerability. You could imagine one individual knowing about this issue and not knowing who to talk about and not knowing who to turn to, it later blowing up and that being one of the issues here that's charged. In August of 2021, a couple of months later, the SEC charged a London-based public company that provides educational publishing and other services to schools and universities with misleading investors about a 2018 cyber intrusion involving the theft of millions of student records like dates of birth and email addresses and the fact that this company had inadequate disclosure controls and procedures. So again, this is August of 21. This company is charged for a 2018 cyber intrusion Uh, And in the interim period, in the period between those two events, uh, the company issued multiple reports, one filed in July of 2019. Uh, The company referred to data privacy incidents as a, quote, hypothetical risk, when obviously, in fact, in the summer of 2019, that 2018 cyber intrusion had already occurred. So again, we're building on this topic. Knowledge was present here, as well as a lack of appropriate disclosure considerations around the seriousness of this specific cyber intrusion. Yeah, they're interesting cases, Chris, and I just want to make a note about the charges in mm-hmm. these cases, right? I mean, again, we've talked about the patchwork quilt, we've talked about, you know, Reg SP, we've talked about Reg SID. What's interesting is while the SEC touts these as cybersecurity cases, they're brought by the cyber unit, they don't have charges under any of those provisions, right? right? So when you when you look at the documents, what you see are essentially disclosure-based charges, right? They failed to disclose something that they knew or made a, a misleading disclosure about something they knew. And separately, record-keeping and internal controls types of charges, mm-hmm. right? I, I, in some cases, you didn't have the, the right kind of framework in place to identify and avoid this kind of thing. So I just think it's, you know, it's an interesting, maybe it's just a footnote, but for me, it's interesting to see the charges that they're bringing in these cases. They aren't maybe the, what we would think of as the SEC's cybersecurity regulations. Yeah. To me, I try to visualize these things. I'm a visual learner. And so when I think of cybersecurity, I think of building a wall and the SEC doesn't say how high the wall has to be. And it doesn't say that the company needs to disclose how high that wall is or to build a wall of a certain height. But it apparently does need to tell every. But if anyone gets over the wall, that is where there needs to be a decision around, you know, what is disclosed. Right. So to your point, you don't have to talk about anything prior to folks getting over the wall. Then the disclosure part uh, comes true to your point. Like, we're not going to charge you for not protecting it. We're going to charge you for not disclosing 
that it was unprotected or that right. it was violated. Right. Well, that, that's where the gap is in the in the regulatory framework. In the but, patchwork you know, quilt, you know, you don't maybe want to not for long. With <laughs> those proposed rules come out. Following on, Kurt, in August of 2021, the SEC announced actions against eight advisory firms for failures in their cybersecurity policies and procedures that resulted in email account takeovers exposing the personal information of thousands of customers and clients at each firm. And the orders against these firms state a violation of Rule 30A of Regulation SP that safeguards rule we talked about up top. This is obviously a, a, a nod towards the exposure of personal information through that email account takeover. So like we talked about, Kurt, the SEC has not been sitting on its laurels here and waiting for cybersecurity rules to, to bring about new enforcement or, or to create the environment to do so. These cases are being pursued all throughout the time, basically, that we've had the podcast. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, the ones that we're highlighting today are just, again, the ones that have happened since we had that conversation that's with right. Robert Peake and Chris Hetner. You've just walked through, uh, you know, several that occurred in 2021. I mean, that last one was actually three separate actions against eight firms. So they've been busy, but, you know, it didn't just stop in 2021. It's actually something we're still hearing a lot about in 2022, mm -hmm. including in the recent SEC enforcement annual report, which we talked about on the last episode. Go back, listen to the bonus episode for, for our friend's helpful commentary on the report. But what I think was interesting here is, you know, for the for the first time in a while, certainly something that was new compared to last year, there was a little section carved out that was all about cybersecurity and compliance, which if you think about how the SEC chose, I think, pretty carefully what buckets to highlight in the report this year, you know, it's things like ESG and crypto, right? Yeah. Right there alongside those things that we know are priorities for mm -hmm. the SEC was cybersecurity and compliance. So I'll just, I'll read you what the SEC said about it, and then I'll talk a little bit about what they've been up to. But so in the, again, in the annual report, in the annual report this year, the enforcement staff said, quote, the SEC brought significant enforcement actions in fiscal year 2022 concerning failures by major firms to comply with core obligations, including record keeping and safeguarding customer information. These cases and others like them reflect the critical importance of firms ensuring that their policies, procedures, and practices keep pace with technological developments and the resulting changes in how business is conducted. So, you know, Chris, again, it's interesting that they got a specific call out. The, the cases that they were referring to, there were a couple this year. First, back in July, the SEC charged JP Morgan, UBS, and TradeStation for deficiencies in their programs to prevent customer identity theft in violation of Reg SID. Again, that's the identity theft red flags rule. According to the SEC's orders in those matters, uh, for a couple of years, the firm's identity theft prevention programs did not include reasonable policies and procedures to identify relevant red flags of identity theft in connection with customer accounts or to incorporate those red flags into their programs. In addition, the SEC found that the firm's programs did not include reasonable policies and procedures to respond appropriately when they did identify red flags of potential identity theft, or to ensure that the programs were updated periodically to reflect changes in identity theft risks to customers. This one I think is interesting, just kind of reading through that language from the release. I mean, it feels a lot like what the SEC is going to expect from financial mm -hmm. services firms. 
if something like that rulemaking proposal we talked about comes through. That's right. So, you know, kind of just an interesting tip of the cap, if you will. I'm not going to say regulation by enforcement, but it <laughs> maybe it, it tells us exactly what at, I think the enforcement staff and maybe the broader commission are expecting. So that was the first one. Uh, more recently, in September of this year, the SEC charged Morgan Stanley with violations of Reg SP. That's the safeguard and safeguards and disposal rules for its failure over a five-year period to protect the personal identifying information, PII, of approximately 15 million customers. Essentially, the firm failed to properly dispose of devices containing its customers, PII. And this was kind of a, a banner enforcement action for the SEC in this space. They actually required Morgan Stanley to pay a $35 million penalty to settle the charges. This one feels a little more kind of run of the mill to me in terms of, you know, you've got the regulation. It says you've got to protect the personal information they failed to do it for one reason or another. So nothing new here. You know, if I'm if I'm picking my favorites, I think the July action is more interesting just because it, it kind of feels like what these enforcement actions might look like in the future. But as you know, Chris, that, that's not the only thing that the SEC Enforcement Division has been up to. Why don't you tell us what else is going on over there? So, Kurt, we've talked a little bit about the past, some of the future, and then what's going on in the enforcement world. But one of the things that's been consistent and also changed a little bit is the SEC's Cyber Unit was established in September of 2017 and is a focal point for the SEC's experience in cyber-related issues. Cyber Unit focuses on cybersecurity controls at regulated entities, issuer disclosures of cybersecurity incidents and risks, trading on the basis of hacked non-public information, and cyber-related manipulations such as brokerage account takeovers and market manipulations using electronic and social media platforms. All seems to be kind of an extension of what we'd assume to be part of the tripartite mission of the SEC, but with that cyber angle, right? Someone is out touting a, a stock and then selling it short, knowing that, that that touting is inappropriate if they're doing it with their voice or, or with a, a newsletter, right, that may be one, one type of violation, but if they're doing it with social media or other electronic information dissemination platforms, that may be something that falls under the cyber unit's purview. Now, for anybody who is a specialist in the SEC government website, you'll notice I skipped some of the description of the SEC's cyber unit because in May of this year, the SEC announced that it was allocating 20 additional positions to the unit responsible for protecting investors in the crypto markets, as well as additional support for other cyber-related threats. The unit's name was updated to the Crypto Assets and Cyber Unit, and it will grow to about 50 dedicated positions. So the portion of the description I left out from the website is that the cyber unit focuses on violations involving digital assets, initial coin offerings, and cryptocurrencies, as well as the cybersecurity information we have discussed before. Upon the announcement in May, the press release noted, Kurt, some of the things that we have talked about today. Public companies and registrants failing to maintain adequate cybersecurity controls and failing to disclose cyber-related risks and incidents. So although the unit has been around for a long time, this update and this support of additional staff positions is really focused on a repeat issue in the SEC's mind. Yeah, I mean, it's it's always interesting when you see these kind of source allocation changes or staffing changes. 
you know, I think we've pointed to a Gensler speech. We've pointed to the enforcement annual report. I think this is just another indication that the SEC and the enforcement division in particular are focusing on this area. But look, it's not it's not going anywhere. In fact, yeah. I think we should see I think we should expect to see the number of cases, the frequency of, of cases probably tick up. Obviously, they are allocating more resources for a reason. It's not only crypto. Mm-hmm. We're seeing more cybersecurity cases. It's an issue that is, as I've said, important to Chair Gensler, but also important to see Enforcement Director Gabir Graywall. He's noted it in testimony um, before before congressional oversight committees. He's talked about it in a couple of speeches. Even back when he was the Attorney General in New Jersey, he talked about cybersecurity in a couple of speeches. So it's an issue he's aware of. He sees it as a real threat to the markets. And so I think he is going to continue to allocate resources in this space. And look, it's worth folks uh, or it's worth entities taking a look at their policies and procedures, at their cybersecurity framework, at their incident response framework to make sure that they're getting that hygiene piece, you know, that preparedness piece that Chair Gensler talked about, right? Because you don't want to be on the wrong side of, of one of these actions. And you definitely don't want to get flat-footed when we start to see these new rules coming out. And I think if, of all of the cases and all of the rules that we've talked about, the thing that's sticking with me, Kurt, is refinement, right? In, in the early 2000s, the internet was new and cybersecurity was maybe a word people heard but didn't really understand. In 2013, we've got a significant update to the expectations, a refinement, if you will, of that general idea. And in the actions that are being brought by the SEC, whether they be statement actions or or just kind of run of the mill, we're seeing the policy or the ideas that underlie the policy really being honed in on. So as you you and I, Kurt, continue to consult with folks, I think it'll always be on keeping an eye on that next step, thinking about how programs and responses to incidents that will continue to happen can be refined in the most meaningful way for those clients to ensure that they're doing the best they can and explaining where they can't, where those gaps might be to their own benefit. Yeah, I agree with you completely. Look, I mean, hey, man, I enjoyed this conversation. I think it was maybe a little bit bite-sized for mm-hmm, our typical mm-hmm. podcast episode, but hopefully got people up to speed. Uh, it's, it's been good, man. Happy th- happy Cyber Thursday. Yeah, hopefully, you know, you and I can sign off and find some of those deals we might have missed earlier in the week. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Insecurities Podcast. As always, we want to hear from you regarding your thoughts, comments, and topics for discussion on future episodes of Insecurities. Please use the hashtag InsecuritiesPod on Twitter or LinkedIn to join the conversation. You can find me at EkimoffCPA. And I'm at Enforce underscore Update. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the Insecurities Podcast wherever you listen. Be well, everyone, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to Insecurities, a podcast from PLI, the Practicing Law Institute. PLI is a nonprofit provider of authoritative professional services training and continuing education. In an increasingly complex business environment where intricate corporate structures reign, Insecurities can help you make sense of it all. A special thanks goes to the producer of Insecurities, Daniel Pinitz, as well as hosts Chris Ekimoff and Kurt Wolf. For more information about PLI's SEC Institute, 
or to view hundreds of hours of fresh and relevant on-demand programming covering changes within the security sector, visit pli.edu membership and sign up for a privileged membership. These recorded materials are designed for educational purposes only. This podcast does not constitute legal, audit, tax, consulting, business, financial, investment, or other professional advice, and it does not create an attorney-client relationship. Please consult a qualified professional advisor before taking any action based on the information herein. Furthermore, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individual participants. These views are not the views of the hosts or their employers. Users of this podcast may save and use the podcast only for personal or other non-commercial educational purposes. No other use, including without limitation, reproduction, retransmission, or editing of this podcast may be made without the prior written permission from PLI. PLI.